Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Now, as many of you might know, fiat currency is like a melting ice cube. And so holding Bitcoin on our balance sheet, whether you are a business entity or a nonprofit or a trust, can help you deal with this. So if you are operating or managing an entity, get in touch with Swan Business and you can have expert guidance at every step along the way. Dante and the team will help you out automating your Bitcoin investment, custody and management strategy. Also, Bitcoin Benefit Plan is available. So if you have employees and you would like to help Orange Bill them and pay out a certain amount to them every month, whether it's $50, $100 a month, and Swan can handle all the heavy lifting, such as creating wallets, converting currency, and routing payments. And like magic, your employees receive Bitcoin and world-class financial education monthly as a benefit from you. So if this is something that sounds great to you, go to swan.com business. Build on L2 is a community for Bitcoin builders by Blockstream. This initiative is a community-led effort by contributors and companies building on Core Lightning and the Liquid Network. So I've been playing around on there. There is some discussion forums and there are online events coming up. This is an interactive community platform where builders, product managers, designers, engineers can all come together for events, a mentorship program, and exploring a community space to learn something alongside other builders. Go and sign up. Get access at buildonl2.com. When it comes to securing your Bitcoin, you need some hardware tools to do it. And CoinKite.com make an awesome range of products here. So they have products that are suitable for all ranges of price points. So for example, if you need a cheap device that works with NFC, the Tap Signer is available. It's about $40. You can look at the cold card. The Mark IV version is about $148. Now this offers a range of features that you can use in various configurations, whether it's single signature, multi-signature, using trick pins, having seed XOR, all kinds of features are available there. And they've also got the new Q1 device, which is available for pre-order, which I spoke about in my recent episode with NVK. So that's also worth a look if you are looking for a QR-enabled device. So go and get those over at coinkite.com. If you're getting a cold card, use code LAVERA for a discount there. My guest for today's episode is Mark Goodwin. He's the editorial director for print at Bitcoin Magazine. He joins me to chat about the dynamics between Bitcoin and the dollar. Are there warring factions in the government? What does it mean to help the US dollar retain monetary dominance? What are the protocol risks created by stablecoins? And what does it mean for Bitcoin to still survive and thrive through all of this? Mark, welcome to the show. Stefan, thanks for having me so much, man. Long time listener, uh, first time caller. So uh, excited to be Fantastic. here. Fantastic. Yeah, that's great. And I've seen uh, you have some interesting perspectives, both in your written contributions and work for bitcoin magazine i know you are also the print editor there or print director and uh, also some of your commentary online i think i've seen a lot of interesting commentary and i think yeah it'll be interesting just to chat to hear the pros the cons of stable coins on bitcoin i know this is something you've been writing and speaking about also so uh do you want to just open with some of your high level thoughts about this notion of stable coins and Bitcoin and, you know, quote unquote, crypto world uh, and whether it, it's, you know, on balance, is it an opportunity? Is it a benefit or is it a risk? Is it some kind of downside? I mean, it definitely depends on, you know, who you're looking at, you know, uh, where the risk is and where the upside is. But yeah, the way I look at it, I mean, you know, I, I think we're the market is coming to realize it's really about Bitcoin <clears throat> and it's about the dollar. And uh, those are uh, the two you know, things, you know, sort of competing out here in, in the mass market and stable coins are a huge part of, of the modern dollar market. You know, the US has to sell its debt somewhere. 
and uh you know one of the biggest buyers of of you know these short term these T bills has been stablecoin issuers and i think it's a really important um lever of the US dollar system to combat inflation uh to have as many users on the dollar system as possible right and stablecoins i think are totally within the uh the benefit of the dollar coalition and i don't really see them as you know being opposed to the fed at all um the fed always has sort of used private entities to you know deliver these bonds to and then have them create credit and and give it out um you know to their users and um i don't think that's a lever that's really you know will just be given up very easily so i think you know sort of at a at a at a high level i think the bitcoin and and the dollar are uh you know kind of coming head to head and um the way that will be fought uh if you will will be like in liquidity and in in pairs on on a, on a USD level, and kind of uh, you know one more thing to sort of round out the thesis: this kind of idea of you know the Bitcoin dollar, sort of akin to like the petrodollar. So this idea that you know we, we want to tie our our money system, our fiat system, to an energy standard, you know, like gold, like oil. You know, so we went off kind of the gold standard. You know, Nixon shock. And then we, you know, spent the next, you know, three decades in the Middle East, um, kind of creating this dollar monopoly on petrol, which is where we get that phrase, the petrodollar. So a big part of my, you know, thinking of what's going on and kind of a a very broad reductive stroke in the macro sense, you know, is this, uh, you know, this, this idea of the Bitcoin dollar having, you know, really been created uh, in the last few years. And we're just seeing this huge lion's share of, uh, you know, kind of in a similar way of creating this monopoly on this heavily demanded energy commodity. So we've kind of recreated it with Bitcoin. You want to buy Bitcoin, you, you got to buy dollars first. You want to, you know, cash out of Bitcoin, you know, the highest liquidity easily is going to be in a U.S. dollar pairing. So I think the, the dollar system and, and, uh, and Bitcoin are, um, you know, they're strange bedfellows. And, uh, <laughs> right. you know, I think uh, I think we're going to see a lot of developments with that um, in this year. I think this will be the year of the Bitcoin dollar, I think. Yeah. So I think one comment I wanted to highlight, I think you made a really good point. It's, it's Bitcoin and the dollar that in, in terms of, quote unquote, crypto, as much as I dislike that term, it's over the years, we've seen all these different narratives, right? So in the earlier years, we saw things like, you know, name coin. Oh, have a coin to have a domain. And then we saw things like all kinds of things. Like we saw this idea, this narrative of Litecoin, the silver to Bitcoin, you know, to right, the gold right, right. of Bitcoin. And we saw all these different use utility coins. We saw all of these different coins that existed to try to keep you inside a system. But for all of that, all of, you know, the usefulness of quote unquote crypto has really boiled down to Bitcoin, obviously, decentralized money call it whatever you want to think of it. Is it a digital gold? Is it a, you know, whatever, obviously the best thing. And stable coins. And it seems like that's really the use. I mean, that's really what it is out there. And of course, I think if you were to talk to most people or even myself, I thought I probably thought four or five years ago, I probably thought all this stuff would just get regulated out, right? Like I just thought the government would come and shut it all down, right? That tether would just get shut down. Not that I, you know, like the government, but in terms of what do I believe the government is likely to do? Are they likely to shut these things down? Yeah, probably. Now, it's only in recent years that we've seen this thesis of, oh, do stable coins potentially help governments in some way of asserting or maintaining that dominance of dollar dominance, as an example? 
And I think maybe that's where they've at least been permitted to exist. Um, and of course, it's also important to point out governments are not a monolith. There are different departments inside the governments and they can even be warring with each other and fighting totally. for control because on one side, maybe the KYC AML risk is, oh, we don't want this. And then on the other side, it's kind of like, well, hang on, maybe this is a good thing for our monetary dominance overall. So maybe we should tolerate that KYC AML sanctions risk because it's going to help us retain dollar dominance. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that uh, aspect of internal wars inside government departments. I mean, absolutely. You know, I look at it as sort of, you know, I say like the dollar coalition or, you know, you know, some some folks use like team fed or whatever. But it's like, you know, it's it's something we see time and time again in history. You know, there's always warring factions whenever there's any sort of, you know, special privilege or power uh, to be, you know, taken. And and what greater special privilege than, you know, the right to print money uh, of the reserve currency of the world um, at such a hyper globalized moment. It's a humongous lever. So yeah, I totally think that there are warring factors within, you know, there are sort of these private entity institutions that are, you know, the, the these are the people that I think will sort of step up to be, you know, the again, the buyers of who's going to buy US debt, probably these private banks to issue coins, you know, who, who's going to be king made, basically, is like, that's that's what this week and and the next couple months are, are are sort of seeming to you know come to where it's just you know the SEC has clearly made its move. We're going to see which. So actually, which, do you want to just 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 for listeners who aren't familiar, do you want to just spell that out? What what move did the SEC make here? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it kind of started uh, you know uh, at the end of last year, you know, in the fall of last year, around you know right before a lot of the the, the big FTX fallout happened, um, the SEC kind of made their first you know real definitive statement um, against a security offering. And so they went at this um, ICO that was called Library Coin or LBRY. And they basically set the precedent that, you know, yes, this is a security and these laws are very black and white. They're 90 years old. Um, you know, I think the Securities Act was in 33, you know, and these are black and white laws. And so, you know, the SEC filed against this company and said that they had they had, you know, not registered as as being a security and they had profited off of this. And it really set a big like, you know, ooh across the whole industry because and we saw huge fallouts right after with you know one of the big things i think in this ftx debacle um was the ftt token was this you know exchange token that they issued which you know based on sort of the actions that have you know come through in the last few days you know very likely would be considered a security for for basically every reason and it ended up being a self-issued security that was you know behind like 40% of, uh, you know, their holdings like on the books and the liabilities. And once that all came out, everything, you know, very much so collapsed. So I guess when I say the SEC is making their moves, you know, they're they're looking at stablecoin providers, they're looking at exchanges, they're looking at token issuers. And, uh, you know, they're beginning to say at least, you know, hey, the regular, re- you know, regulatory regime is here. What is going to happen that it's here and it's you know loud and proud and and starting to to mess to mess things up for people? Um, we don't exactly know what that will you know resolve to, but I'm certain that uh, you know the stablecoin regulation will be you know humongous you know moving forward. You know which one of these private entities gets to sort of be you know the de facto you know CBDC sort of for the United States. Um, whether that's going to be a circles USDC, which is which is very possible, right? I mean, they're held 
Their reserves are held by BNY Mellon, um, which is, you know, one of the digital dollar pilot partners, which they're running right now. Um, they're one of the biggest institutions in the world. They have like their hands in like almost 20% of, of the money in the, in the world. And, um, you know, they hold the paper for Circle, right? So there's a lot of, you know, who's going to be kind of the, who's going to get this unbelievable privilege to be able to print dollars. And I use print loosely there. But yeah, it's going to be incredible to see, you know, what really, you know, comes of, of this uh, regulatory action. So if we were to look at the marketplace today of high, big stable coins, so it's probably three main players, right? So obviously Tether, it's the elephant in the room. Totally. It's the biggest stable coin by far, most liquidity by far. As we speak today, it's February 16th, 2023. Tether USDT's market cap, as I look, is about $70 billion. Wow. Next on the list is USDC, which is the circle, as you said, which kind of arguably is more the might even be the regulator or the government's favorite um or at least they're 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 trying to position themselves that way absolutely so usdc is about 41 billion right and then binance usd which obviously has taken a big drop recently it's about 14 billion now the interesting move with busd as well and i think you called this out in one of your articles is that binance tried to make a play a few months ago where they force converted people's stablecoin balance out of USDC into Binance USD. But then what we saw finally recently is there was an enforcement, uh, there was some kind of action, I think it was SEC versus Paxos, who is the US issuer of Binance USD. So it's sort of like there are these big moves being made and played around who gets to be the stablecoin top dog. A hundred percent. And I think, and, and, uh, you know, right before the FTX, you know, implosion, uh, he was on a podcast and SBF said that they were looking to, to make their own stable coin and they were looking for the right partner to do it. And, you know, within weeks they, you know, they filed chapter 11. Um, you know, that's not something you just bring up loosely, right? You know, that's something that, that sort of triggers the, uh, self-preservation, uh, incentive levers of the, you know, whoever is in the warring factions of the U.S. dollar system. And, uh, you know, FTX was really, you know, kind of systematically taken out because they did a fraud. I mean, they obviously they've screwed up. They were committing crimes, commingling users funds. Um, But also they were very publicly, you know, they let loose the, you know, their liquidation position for for FTT. um, And that peg was attacked. And then right before that, right, we saw another uh, stable coin attempt with the Luna Terra I'll just call it a fiasco. They tried to create their own stable coin and, you know, buy or they did create their own stable coin by billions of dollars of Bitcoin. And then, you know, their algorithmic peg got attacked. 30,000 Bitcoin get liquidated on Binance and uh, it's all gone. So, yeah, stable coins are, you know, incredibly. I mean, if you can if you can wield and, and create a, a liquid one, um, you know, it's it's a it's a hell of a tool to have in your belt. Um, and obviously, you know, of course, there's an incentive for these huge exchanges um, you know, to like close positions in USDC and say, Hey, we can just make our own stable coin. You know, why not? You know, we'll have, we can easily get it up to 10 plus billion dollars worth and it'd be totally fine because we have so many users. So every exchange would, you would think would be incentivized to do that. And so FTX went to, to go do that and, you know, boom, and then they're out. So, and remember it's highly profitable. Like, so, Oh yeah. At in terms of, there was a comment recently that Binance is literally making more money, or was, I don't know now the situation, but it was making more money out of BUSD than out of the spot trading. 
on Binance, like literally one of the largest platforms on earth. So there is a lot of money in this game. So I think it's also important to remember that. But I think then it kind of comes to that risk aspect of it because as Bitcoiners, I think obviously we have to recognize the world as it is today and understand, okay, yeah, we're in a we're in a dollar-denominated world today. Of course, we would like it to be a Bitcoin-denominated world. We want to try to get to that. The question is, what are some of the right ways to get there, right? If you are a Bitcoiner today, whether you are just a, you know, just a hodler, a stacker, or whether you are trying to build some kind of business, how much interaction with stablecoins should we have? Like, is it, and I think that's also coming into this question about should Bitcoin products and Bitcoin wallets and applications, should they have stablecoin support? And I think this kind of brings up, and when you bring this up online, there's, there are big debates online about is that the purpose of this thing? Is that the right way to go or is it driving a high risk of capture? Yeah, I mean, it's strange that, you know, you know, you'd, you'd like to think a Bitcoiner would be pretty anti, you know, fiat, anti-dollar. You know, it's this, it's this, uh, you know, the, the dollar complex, you know, the military industrial complex behind it is, is uh, you know, one of the biggest you know, frankly, one of the biggest terrorist organizations in the world. And um, it's, it, it seems so strange to, you know, to see so much stablecoin support. You know, it's like, these are petrodollars, you know, these are these are petrodollar derivatives that run on usually like, you know, Ponzi scam, you know, alt chain rails, um, where these fees are going to um, these people that I think, you know, very arguably are not operating in good faith, um, you know, running some of these smart contract platforms. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to tell anyone what to do with their money uh, ever. Um, and I obviously understand why people want to access to the dollar when it's hard to have access to. Um, it's it's a great technological tool, you know, over every other fiat currency ever. Uh, but it's still fiat currency. Um, and it's still, you know, we're buying the debt of this, you know, corrupt and criminal organization. Um, so, you know, I'd like to think, you know, Bitcoiners would be averse to stable coins, you know, when they really understand what they are. You know, they're not decentralized. You know, they're issued by a central issuer. Um, they run on decentralized and name only, you know, Ponzi rails. Uh, and they're still, at the end of the day, the economic policy of the greater dollar system is still sort of directing the, the value and sort of security, if you will, of, you know, these products, these petrodollar derivatives. So I, I don't like to see it personally. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it seems to be that there's sort of a push towards introducing these, um, you know, technologically into the base layer, uh, and then using them in sort of tarot assets on lightning. And that's, that's a big, um, you know, talking point that a lot of people in the Bitcoin community are really excited about, you know, this is this killer app, you know, this, a single lightning wallet that has Bitcoin and, and dollar operability. And it just raises a lot of red flags for me. Um, you know, I we saw kind of what happened with Ethereum and the merge, and and you know now that there's this heavily OFAC compliant chain, um, that I think a lot of it was was because of this perversion of the native asset of Ether, you know, to not really be the lion's share anymore of the economic value on the system. You know, we saw stablecoin swell to like a hundred billion, um, and we saw it be this you know very dominating presence for where Ethereum was going to fork to next. You know, Ethereum is very fork you know, by nature. Um, luckily, Bitcoin isn't. But I still have, you know, some some he hesitations about introducing 
U.S. dollar uh, non-native assets into Bitcoin. Now, of course, Bitcoin will never use dollars natively. You know, you, you always have to go to Satoshi. It's the atomic unit of Bitcoin. But, you know, anytime you go up against such a a, a huge system like the dollar and you introduce, you know, this, this non-native asset um, interoperability, um, it, be, it brings up these questions of liquidity needs. And I believe stake will always flow from those with shorter time liquidity needs to those with, you know, longer time, you know, they don't have a lot of liquidity needs, right? It, it's going to naturally flow that way, no matter how distributed it is at the beginning. If all the hodlers have, you know, to sell their Bitcoin first, it's going to flow to whoever who has, you know, less liquidity needs in the short term. And there's no one that has less liquidity needs in the short term than the U.S. dollar system. Um, I mean, they can create money uh, at will to sort of the de facto shareholders of, of the Fed. So I worry about introducing that into the Bitcoin system. I think that's definitely an attack vector. And I, and I would see a lot of Bitcoin flowing to, you know, the entities that, that surround the, you know, whether it's the digital money printer or, or, or the regular one. So that definitely does worry me. But then again, I understand why people want to use dollars. Uh, I do. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I like to, uh, I like to think that, you know, we know that there's a, a much bigger mission here in Bitcoin, you know, has a huge role to play in the dollars, you know, upcoming future. But I think in the rest of the world and society at large, obviously, you know, we all love Bitcoin. And so I think to break some of the purity of it and introduce petrodollars to it, it just, to me, it, it seems very anti-Bitcoin. So I'm sort of agreeing and disagreeing in certain ways. I, I can, I think I certainly see there's some risk there, but I think there are also a lot of people who it's going to be hard to just tell them, Go Bitcoin only. Um, so now I will, you know, I use Bitcoin only. I, in terms of like how many stable, I have like a test amount of USDT on this uh, on my Blockstream Jade, right? As an example, I have like ten dollars or fifteen dollars worth of USDT or whatever just to play around. But thinking of somebody who's in a country where you don't have US dollar access, you don't have US bank account access, and your fiat is just continually devaluing, it's probably a difficult thing for us to just say, hey, just go Bitcoin only. Like, if you're kind of... You know, and I think the other aspect of it is stable coins might help those people who are in Bitcoin because you might need to be able to sell. And those OTC traders, a lot, if you talk to them and you want physical cash, oftentimes what they want, they want, you know, today at least here in the UAE, from what I understand, a lot of them want either the ERC-20 version of Tether or the TRC, the Tron version of Tether. That's what they want. Now, some of them are willing to still deal with directly with Bitcoin, but some of them are just like, no, we only do you know Tether and not even any Tether, ERC-20 Tether or TRC-20 Tether. So then the question is, how do you live in the world today without having that, you know, because unless you can afford to pay everything with Bitcoin directly or you have enough people that you can sell for cash. But what's the, what's the use if the person you're selling to, he needs to use a stablecoin because he's going on some exchange somewhere? You know, I, I can sort yeah, of... Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult because, I mean, I, I don't think it's, an, it's appropriate financial advice to tell someone to, you know, 100% use Bitcoin 
right now. Um, we're not quite at that place where, I mean, we're pretty damn close. Uh, it's definitely yeah. the easiest it's ever been to, to you know, predominantly or, or, or entirely use Bitcoin for all of your financial transactions. There's, there's tools there. A lot of them do skirt around and end up going into dollar for sure. But I mean, I think it really depends on your, you know, your situation. But I, but I would push back on this idea of, you know, people that don't have access to the US dollar. It's like, well, the U.S. dollar is a is a very mediocre thing um, that is attempting to you know dollarize and globalize the world. Um, so, are we building freedom technology? Are we helping empower people ultimately to get out from underneath you know these huge banking regimes and the, these you know these imperialistic um, you know coalitions? Um, so. You know, it's 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 tough. I, I I definitely understand the use case, and I use dollars, um, but I try to minimize it as much as possible. Truly, and I you know I save in Bitcoin, but yeah, I mean I, I think it's 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 a bit it's a bit much to ask of the world to drop um, a lot of these these uh, these habits and and tools. I mean, the dollar is a is a is a fine technological tool uh, for money in a lot of ways, but also it's failing in a very big way. And so we're going to have to be dealing with a lot of, you know, a lot of monetary inflation eventually, you know, when we increase units because of the price inflation that we're going through. So I don't think the dollar is really a safe thing to try to build out new rails or establish either in regards to uh, from a freedom technology standpoint. Um, But in terms of a day to day, like microeconomic standpoint, like, yes, it totally makes sense to, you know, keep your daily spending in in dollars if you're in an area that that accepts it. You know, you need to use the liquidity pairs that have liquidity um, in your day to day. Um, And so, you know, you're pointing out a couple of those, the Tron token and the, the, you know, Ethereum uh, tether. But again, it's like you're touching Tron, you're touching Ethereum. There's money going to these people. Um, There's money going to the issuers. um, And there's a very special privilege being given to the stablecoin issuers. So it's tough to ask an individual to, uh, you know, (laughs) take the plunge and and de-dollarize. But I think as we get further along um, and Bitcoin, you know, really starts to get a lot of adoption, you know, hopefully those those granular points will will diminish enough where we really can um, move away from the dollar. Um, But it's going to it's not going to be that fast. I mean, we all want hyper Bitcoinization now in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways that would be really ugly. You know, a lot of people would get left behind if Bitcoin went, you know, seven figures tomorrow. You know, how many people wouldn't be prepared, would be priced out from ever being able to hold any really, you know, significant percentage of their wealth in Bitcoin? You know, we're already getting to that point where, you know, who, what, you know, what average person has $25,000 or whatever we're up, we're up to today, um, you know, and, and extra capital to spend, you know, so people are going to continue to get priced out. Yeah. It, 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 again, yeah, it's a lot to ask, but um, yeah, yeah. If you set the stage. Yeah, and I think one other aspect of it is the method of using it, right? So as an example, with Tether Bitcoin, as in, sorry, liquid USDT, there is no altcoin, right? I view it, because I, I view LBTC, it's more like, it, it's a, it's custodial, yes, because the Federation controls it, but it's not an altcoin because LBTC is pegged directly with Bitcoin. So it's kind of like, it's, a, it's in a bit of a special category, whereas, yes, with Tron and Ethereum tethers, you are using the altcoin as the gas or the fee asset when you transact with those. So I guess maybe you could, you could maybe make a distinction there. And then there are different means 
that people are using to offer stablecoins. So, for example, I, you know, I, I did an episode a little while recently with Uraj Bednar. Uraj Bednar, he's from um, like the Czech Republic, and he's you know fully in the kind of libertarian cypherpunk angle. And his view was that he didn't want to use those stablecoins, similarly to you, because the underlying holder is holding government bag debt bags. The un- you're totally. funding the government, right? You, right. It, by holding some of these tokens, you are, in a sense, funding the US government, right? Because you're helping them dump their, ba- de- their debt bags. And so, you know, for a libertarian 100%. or a person who's anti the state or at least wants the state smaller, it kind of makes you a bit, oh, okay, yeah, I need to think about that, right? But then there are alternatives. So as an example, there is this notion of synthetic, right? So like, like crypto euro dollars. So I think historically the idea was people would use BitMEX and they would go 1x short. And this used to be a thing that traders would do when they wanted to be neutral. And now there are people who are productizing that. So, for example, I know Collider with a Collider with a K, and I know Ellen Markets has this product, and uh, of course, Bitcoin Beach Wallet or from Galloy has a feature called StableSats. And so, these products are not holding government debt bags; they are instead using a synthetic position with a Bitcoin or a crypto exchange to replicate the US dollar value. And so maybe there's something there that if you can use one of these products, you you put lightning in, and yes, it's custodial. So of course, there's a trade-off. Listeners beware, there is a custodial trade-off here. There's always a trade-off right? for, for anything, right? always, of course. Yeah, but so let's say people could deposit in with lightning, flip it into the synthetic USD or synthetic euro, and then at the point they need to spend, okay, depo- withdraw over lightning and spend over lightning. And so lightning can maybe become a bit of the glue there for people to absolutely yeah i mean and also you know we're seeing some interesting developments with uh, more of the federated model with like fediment um, and cashew um, which are sort of e-cash protocols um, where they're you know they're interoperable with lightning um, but then within the federation themselves you can create you know kind of synthetic assets like that yeah i mean you know people you know there's there's no shortage of good ideas um and there's a lot of cool people building a lot of really cool stuff i'm I'm not incredibly familiar with the um that specific you know stable sats but i have heard of them um yeah i think it's a little bit better it's a little more um uh kosher if you will like uh not touching government debt but yeah i mean of course that you know there's always going to be you know some trade-offs there when you're trying to create a market like that and liquidity is such a big part of it and the dollar is one of the things that it is because it's so liquid um you know huge amounts huge amounts of of dollar movement so yeah i mean uh, you know, I think people should experiment with that stuff, and I think that will be a big part of of the Lightning Network's growth as a as a network payment. You know, a payments network um, when we have these federated, you know, kind of Chami and Mint styles that you know are, are sort of this bridge, this this nice blind, pretty anonymous bridge to you know maybe more legacy, you know, traditional style of of a payment network. You know, which probably institutional Lightning will be. We'll be able to see, you know, the cypherpunks be able to come in and, uh, you know, use these protocols to sort of, you know, keep their balance hidden, but still be able to interact with, you know, the greater lightning network. And then, of course, you know, we're seeing stuff like with with Jack Mahler's just announced, I believe, yesterday uh, was like a dollar API for the strike network that has some sort of market maker where, you know, the dollars are not using stable coins. He was very specifically said not using stable coins. Um, but there's a market maker um, within, you know, their API that, you know, allows them to, to interoperate, you know, use dollars and, and, and lightning Satoshis uh, interoperably, which is really, really interesting. So 
but yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the dollar in general. I, I try to uh, unit of account when thinking about my Bitcoin um, is always in Bitcoin. Um, but of course, price drives everything. You know, I mean, even just the excitement of the last few days and whatever, you know, you're seeing, you know, things definitely happen when number go up. And I think that's a big thing that we need to, you know, really consider when dealing with how we want to, you know, really, you know, build Bitcoin here, understanding the dollar system is right there. You know, it's just a huge part of, uh, of, of the choices we have to make um, moving forward. So, Back to the show in a moment. Unchained Capital are making it easy for you to use multi-signature and remove single points of failure in your Bitcoin security setup. Unchained Capital multi-signature is secure, transparent, easy to use, and sovereign. And for those of you who don't know how to use it, you can get a concierge onboarding program to help you set this up. So if you head on over to the unchained.com website, you can pay upfront. They will ship you the hardware if you need it. They'll do a call with you and teach you about how to do this. Even if you have never held any private keys before, then they will walk you through that process of withdrawing from an exchange or out of your single signature hardware wallet into a vault where you control the keys. And remember, it's sovereign. You hold two of three keys. So this is an easy way to take your coins off the exchange or out of a single signature setup and Unchained are also supporting an inheritance scenario. So they have an inheritance step-by-step checklist. They have letters for the executor and trustee, and you can get all kinds of material there over at unchained.com. Mempool.space is the leading Bitcoin block explorer. Bitcoin is a multi-layer ecosystem and Mempool.space shows you the best way to interact with it. So when you are sending a large transaction or a Bitcoin on-chain transaction, you can check and target the fee. And Mempool.space has gotten big updates recently. They have block audits, they've got more data on RBF transactions, an infinitely scrolling blockchain and an updated search bar and so much more. So you can see the Mempool, you can see the blockchain, you can see second layer networks. It's fantastic. You can self-host it yourself. And if you're with an enterprise, mempool.space offers custom mempool instances with your company's branding. You can get a co-branded mempool.space experience with a continuous cohesive brand experience. You can have priority for feature requests and you can also get a full custom design. So go to mempool.space slash enterprise to see more there. And finally, BTC Prague. This is going to be the biggest Bitcoin event in Europe. It's happening in Prague, Czech Republic, June 8th to 10th. So make sure you have it marked in your calendar. You think you're thinking about flights and hotels. It's going to be a fantastic experience. I'm really looking forward to it. I'll be one of the MCs on the main stage. And there is a range of speakers coming. People like Michael Saylor are coming live in person. So this is a fantastic experience. I think you will really enjoy the opportunity to network and meet other Bitcoiners. So for those of you interested, there's a range of tickets, whether it's the standard ticket or the industry ticket, where there's an extra one-day business conference or the whale ticket where you will have access to four unique whale zones, white glove service and premium food and drinks throughout all three days as well as an exclusive party event. Go to btcprog.com, use code Lavera for a discount on your ticket there. And now back to the show. So let's talk a little bit about the risks then in if people were to build out into a stablecoin direction that leaves potentially, does Bitcoin face more risks there if, let's say, as an example, let's say Taro becomes very popular, lots of people start using Tether on Taro as an example, just for the sake True. of example. Yeah. What kind of risks do you foresee? Is it mainly a regulatory sort of attack or is it more like, okay, as an example, let's say the Taro end points are the ones where the regulator or the government will try to go after them because they are the ones doing that uh, that final exchange between 
Tethataro and Bitcoin as an example. Right, yeah, it does bring up some, um, you know, potential for regulatory capture, although I've been thinking a lot about this and... Um, you know, I don't think the government needs any more reason to go after Bitcoin than than it does. You know, Bitcoin taking <laughs> away this level. You know, it's we certainly don't need to bait them on to do anything else. But yeah, I mean, I, I do see there potentially being you know a money transmitter law. You know, some sort of regulation there where if nodes are now actually you know holding dollar assets through this this Taro asset um, Merkle tree, it's native on chain. I think a lot of people look at it as sort of a Lightning protocol because of what it will do with Lightning and having. U.S. dollars and Lightning channels, but it is it is a BIP, um, and and the actual storage of the of the Merkle tree is on the the, the main chain. So there is some potential there for for uh, you know advanced regulatory capture um, or some sort of you know um, notice requirement. But I think you know I've been thinking a lot about this stuff you know in regards to witness data, right? So Taro is is witness data just like ordinals, and it's a lot of people have brought up this legal debate when talking about ordinals, and it's a big fear that you know oh this will exacerbate someone trying to you know the government you know coming at you because there's a legal activity on your note or whatever, and I think the greatest kind of reaction and answer to that is like the government needs no more reason to go after this um, than it, than it already has, so. I think I think I've sort of I've I've pushed back on some of the heat there of of the regulatory capture um now that I've kind of seen a use case that has used the witness data um in a similar but very different way and and thinking about how the government would react to it. So I don't think the, the there's really regulatory capture. I think there's a little bit there. But again, I worry about bringing in, you know, this hugely, you know, this very liquid, you know, fiat system, this this leviathan into the bitcoin system. You know, I feel like it is something we should be just be very careful, you know, however it, it, it is developed. Um, and I do think, you know, I understand why people are very bullish on it and I understand why people see it being a, you know, a huge multi-trillion dollar industry, which in many ways I do agree. I think the payment channel model in Lightning is 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 the shared UTX mo oh, the shared UTXO model is is just, you know, technologically more efficient than, you know, our card processing that we use now. Um, it is a huge industry, and it could bring great like liquidity to Bitcoin and interest to Bitcoin, the network. But I, I do have a little bit of hesitation of what it will do to the asset and the holders of the asset, and going up against you know this entity that needs uh, no short term liquidity, because um, I don't want to see Bitcoin dollarized or captured in any way. And I think it has a much smaller attack surface than an Ethereum. Um, but there are some attack surfaces there through mining and through some of these other things that can be subsidized, like, you know, hey, let's pervert away good custodial practice by giving you USDC yield, you know, easy. And so I, you know, anytime that we cozy up with the dollar system, I think Bitcoiners should just be very cautious um, because it doesn't have our best interests in heart. And I don't think we should have its best interests in heart either. So in the Ethereum case, we saw... Tether and Circle, the creators of, you know, USDT and USDC, both come out in favor of the merge. Yes. And so I guess in that case, it was uncontroversial. But let's say there was a fight about it. Let's say there was some controversial thing. Do you believe that shows an example of where, you know, capture is? I think that's probably an example where capture is possible, right? Yeah, totally. And I think that everything was copacetic because all the players that were in involved in the merge um, were all totally okay with, you know, how the power 
would shift away from miners, um, from ETH miners to, you know, ETH stakeholders. Um, and I think there was no big, you know, hoopla there because everyone was, uh, was in alignment about, you know, sort of what the future of ETH would look like in, in a post-merge world. You know, Bitcoin doesn't have that the consensus is not tied to stake in any way in Bitcoin, which is one of the things we love about it. That's not necessarily as true in a proof of stake system that uses a lottery based validator, you know, uh, a system that is, you know, the more votes you have, the more lottery tickets you have and who gets to validate the next block is, you know, based on how much share you have. Um, so we're seeing, you know, you know, these centralizing economic forces, and then we're seeing that compounded. Um, and that, that stake is never going to be caught up to um, by any of the other smaller entities. And so when you're giving validation, um, you know, in a weighted manner, I think, you know, proof of stake opens itself up for its consensus to be perverted by uh, centralizing forces. Um, and I think we're seeing that with this over 70% OFAC compliant uh, validation. But yeah, I mean, nothing happened uh, because I think everyone was happy with who owned the stake and uh, what was going into the, you know, the next part of the Ethereum life cycle, if you will. I think everyone was was very happy with it. Um, so that's why we didn't see anything. But the miners never would have been able to slash or fork away and create, uh, you know, a minority rights system because of how great the the stable coin, you know, the hundred billion plus, um, you know, uh, assets on, on on the chain. Um, if they tried to do anything, they would say, okay, well, we're going to blacklist all of the USDC uh, addresses on your dumb fork, and USDC ETH is going to be the, uh, the king-made coin, right? Or fork. And that can't really happen in Bitcoin, thankfully. But, you know, they can buy up a lot of Bitcoin, they can buy up a lot of miners, um, and we can see them, uh, you know, attempt to sort of chip away at this this uh, this honey badger. Um, but luckily, you know, this is why we like Bitcoin. Um, this is why we like the Nakamoto consensus. This is why we like proof of work. Um, it's an open competition every time. And so you can't really just get ahead and stay ahead. Uh, you have to distribute your wealth. If you want to, you know, you have to spend Bitcoin to, to uh, you know, you literally have to spend it. You can't just hold your ETH, gain yield, and then sell the yield. Um, you need to literally spend the, the, you know, distribute the wealth that you have to utilize the system. Um, and that has a sort of a self-regulating uh, mechanism within its consensus that it never coagulates in that same way. So what would you say is the main capture vectors then? Like, so I could imagine a skeptic listener might be thinking, well, hang on, Mark. I think Bitcoin is just so much harder to capture. So is it really such a problem if people build out stable coins? Because what's the vector, right? They could come to you and say, well, what, do you think the miners are going to be the vector? Or do you think it's like the regulators are going to come after the lightning node operators in the US? Or what? Or is it some kind of protocol thing? I think it's a combination of a lot of that, of a lot of things. Um, I think mining um, has a huge part a huge part of it. Um, I think we've seen sort of these business models of these big miners. Um, and we've kind of seen what they were worth uh, or maybe what, what they were intending where, you know, hash prices plummeting, you know, we should be seeing, you know, shutdowns of these, these very large mining operations. And instead we're seeing, you know, breaking all time highs in hash rate. You know, there's something going on there that's, you know, it's not as economically, uh, incentivized to be throwing, you know, on hundreds of, of exahashes of, of hash. And yet here we are at 310 exahash. So I think there is some centralizing forces in mining. I think obviously, you know, from a privacy standpoint, 
I mean, I look at Bitcoin really as a transparency technology, but, you know, the more, you know, we, we let, especially with the Lightning Network, um, it costs money to probe the network. Um, so by introducing, you know, this, this very easy, um, you know, liquid exchange of dollars to Satoshis, it could potentially be easier to probe the network uh, for Lightning surveillance. Um, I think we could see some regulatory pressure. But again, you know, Stefan, I'm obviously very bullish on Bitcoin. It's like, you know, I, I, this is one of the things that I love about it. I think I'm very skeptical about Bitcoin only in the, you know, sort of as an act of love and as sort of, uh, you know, thinking about how things could go wrong. But I mean, there's a reason why I am as invested in Bitcoin, you know, uh, literally and, you know, you know, with my work, professional life and, and as my hobby and everything, you know, is because I think it really does offer a counter um, as this sort of unique database commodity thing, network monster to the dollar system and to a lot of the things that we've used before. And um, yeah, it is very special. I do think it's dangerous to, to, you know, maybe continually preach and say that Bitcoin's already won because it certainly hasn't. Um, but at the same time, I do think there is some sort of escape velocity that has happened um, in Bitcoin that, of course, we're going to have boom busts, we're going to have down cycles, bear cycles. But I do think enough people are sort of invested in the game of Bitcoin um, that will keep this thing going for a really long time. There's, you know, the network effects and, and the game theory of the economics of Bitcoin um, on an issuance level and a consensus level really does, you know, create this very, you know, socially strong, you know, network of trust communication. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly bullish on Bitcoin's ability to resist the state. Um, and that is why it's a very special thing. So, yeah, I, I don't know if that yeah. is a cop out, but I address a lot of the, uh, the concerns. But I also think in so many ways, you know, Bitcoin is, is ultimately, I think, going to have to be used by, you know, governments and states around the world, because I think it will be an inevitability economically. They'll have to have some exposure or they'll get left behind. So, I think we're definitely in the then they fight you phase and we are now absolutely in, I think, probably round two even of the dollar system versus Bitcoin. Um, and we're going to see this play out through the stable coin sort of pawns uh, in, in this in this game. Um, but again, I do think Bitcoin um, will succeed with its robustness versus the political social nature of fiat. I do think Bitcoin will win ultimately. Um, but the dollar certainly will not go down without a fight. Um, and I think most likely will end up being this sort of strange leech on Bitcoin uh, for certainly for our lifetimes. <laughs> right. And I think the important point is just to remember, of course, you know, I, I would like to hyper Bitcoinize sooner than later, of course. But a lot of people today have their value in the fiat system. And so then the question is, how do they get out of the fiat system and into Bitcoin? And to be clear, what we're talking about here is the number of dollars is the same, but the people who hold those dollars, it, like what we're talking about is the relative valuations shifting, right? Because, you know, the same number of Bitcoin exists, the same number of dollars exist, but it's just those relative valuations have to shift. And so I think that's why there's this tension because the Bitcoin economy still today needs that connection with the US dollar economy because there's all these people with dollars who want Bitcoin. Uh, and, you know, or there are people who have US dollars and we're trying to teach them why Bitcoin is better, you know, or at least put our message out there, but they still need a way to connect. And not everybody will be ready and willing to do everything peer to peer or earn. So fundamentally, there's going to be all these dollars in these US bank accounts or around the world that 
still have to find their way to Bitcoin, right? So I think that's that for me is where the tension is, right? Yeah, totally. And I mean, we saw a bunch of people rush into the dollar, uh, you know, the the Dixie, the, the DXY, the sort of relative strength, not relative strength, but comparative strength uh, sort of index against these other um, national currencies. We saw the dollar, you know, cr- crush 30 year highs, um, you know, back when we saw Paul Volcker in the mid 80s cranking up interest rates to, to plus 10 percent. We saw a huge, a huge jump into the dollar, um, you know, colloquially kind of known as like the, you know, sorry, the uh, the dollar milkshake theory. And we saw that kind of play out because we saw, you know, mass, mass amounts of inflation in fiat currencies all across the world from, you know, lockdowns and, uh, you know, pandemic responses um, from governments. And so we saw massive inflationary effects. And then we saw people running into the dollar because it was a better technological tool. So we saw all these people move into the dollar around the world. There was huge demands for stable coins. We saw stable coin issuance explode in the last three years. Um, huge demand for dollars. And that, but that came out of sort of a failure from their current system, pushing them into a better money, you know, this Gresham's law kind of, kind of thing. And so people are less likely to move out of the dollar system when there isn't a forcing agent pushing them in, you know, out of the dollar system and into Bitcoin. And a lot of us have seen that, have felt that, have, you know, know that, you know, you can't just print X amount of trillions of dollars and not have inflation. We all kind of saw this happening um, and prepared ourselves in some form. But still, in the day to day, sure, inflation's not great in, you know, the US or in Australia or, or in Europe. Um, but you know, people are still able generally to eat and pay their electricity bills. And, you know, I, I hate to laugh there cause some people aren't, um, but, but generally like things are like, okay, they're like, okay, but that very easily could turn not okay really quickly with escalation of war, um, with escalation of, of energy and currency crisis and war. So that forcing function to push towards a Bitcoin standard, I think, will come out of kind of a necessity, unfortunately. So, yeah, right now there's a lot of privilege. And I, I kind of hate that word, but, you know, the dollar is, is, a, is a good tool um, at the moment. Um, but it has, the, you know, the dollar has to deal with its own with its own issues shortly it can't keep kicking this can down the road we're smashing into the debt limit again uh you know the interest that we pay in our debt service every year is now past you know the amount that we pay just to service the debt past what we pay to to protect it with the military like our our debt spending is now above our military spending which is like you think of one of those fulcrum, you know, fulcrums of like when a, uh, a currency has has kind of where's the tipping point, right? Yeah, it's like oh, when you're actually spending more to uphold the currency than the the guns that uphold the currency, you know, you're actually, you know, it's you know, we're a zombie company. The U.S. is a is a bankrupt zombie company. You would never invest in it. Um, you can look at the numbers and know how many trillions of dollars we need to pay, um, and how many billions like every day we need to pay just to service the debt. So I think there will be a forcing function at some point, whether it's a worldwide recession. You know, that's not, I, I'm not sure the first thing people are going to want to do is go buy Bitcoin if, you know, there's a recession. But I think probably the second thing they're going to want to do is how do I prevent this from happening again and protect myself? Um, so I think there's a lot of forces, a lot of things going on in macro and in, in you know, the regulatory regime. Um, there's a lot of things that we'll see, I think, play out in the next 
you know, 10, 10 months or so, you know, finishing out this year that we'll, we'll, we'll know a lot more about the future of the dollar, about the world economy, uh, and Bitcoin's role in both of the, you know, to both of those, uh, you know, I think by the end of the year, I think we'll, we'll have a pretty good idea. And then it's like happening and, you know, the, the cycle starts all over again. So, um, this is going to yeah. be a very interesting one. Um, you know, Bitcoin is matured. It's, 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 uh, it's on the dance, it's on the big dance, you know, it's on the dance floor and it's ripping stuff up. So, um, that doesn't get ignored for too long. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, and I hope it's, it's not too bad. I'm also curious if you see any, let's say, okay, as an example, let's say the U.S. government starts to really regulate hard. It goes, to, it, it, uh, they, they try to ha- put the hammer down on stablecoin, U.S. dollar stablecoin issuers and people working with that kind of thing. Do you see a chance that people could try to switch away to other currencies like the, the Swiss franc? or the the pound or the euro like do you think people might try to shift volume into other stable coins or other fiat currencies or do you think it's just kind of like overall it's just us dollar dominated I mean, where there's an opportunity and an arbitrage situation, I think people will always take advantage of that. Um, you know, we'll see, I think, interesting things with, you know, um, you know, people that are, are involved in Japan's banking system. You know, they always do very creative, interesting things. They're, I think, our biggest creditor. And, uh, you know, so I think, you know, we might see some interesting things with the yen. The yen is a very interesting one. It moves around, you know, very, it's very volatile. Um, and, and it, you know, they you know, have negative inflation or sorry, negative interest rates at the moment. I believe they're even below zero. So a lot of creative things going on there. We could see some people move things, you know, move some some elements of their wealth around. Um, but really, yeah, what we are seeing, I think, generally on the on the global scale is sort of a currency war. And so we are seeing these people kind of coming against the US dollar coalition. Um, we're seeing uh, petrol uh, futures settled in euros between China and Russia. It's like, what does that even mean? I mean, thinking about that happening, you know, e- you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, that would never, never happen. Obviously, the euro is very young as well. But that's a really creative, strange, interesting thing to see from, you know, two of the issuers of two of the other most important currencies in the world in Russia and China, using the euro as a petrol settlement. So I think we will see, you know, a lot of creative anti-dollar activity um, from the global economy. Um, and I think we are kind of generally seeing that, you know, it's, it's definitely a cold war, but it's a cold currency war. I don't really personally see a, a significant chunk being taken out of the dollar's chokehold outside of, of, a, of a true alternative of a system. But I could be wrong. I mean, the dollar is generally historically kind of right at that point where world reserve currencies start to go. Um, and arguably, we probably should have lost economic hegemon um, you know, in 2008, you know, in the great financial crisis. Um, and instead, we just kind of pretended it didn't happen, printed a bunch of money, bailed everybody out, didn't put anyone in jail. And then we've only blown out the debt, you know, ever since. So yeah, I, 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 I definitely see people, uh, you know, the dollar for the first time in a very long time, you know, is showing signs of weakness. Um, is seeing high inflation. People are noticing this runaway debt. We're having political issue, you know, within our own country of, you know, which direction we want to kind of go. Do we want to print a lot of money? Do we not? It does look weak. So people will try to take advantage of it. But I think from like a user standpoint, there's just so much demand for dollars. Yeah. Um, I don't really see that getting, you know, that going away lightly. Right. Because I think people have become so used to stable coins now that they're not going to 
let them go so easily, especially the US dollar stablecoins. So I guess... I guess the moral of the story, right, we've been speaking about the potential risks of stablecoins on Bitcoin. And so while there are some risks, I guess the moral of the story is Bitcoin is unlikely to get captured by them, though there is a risk. And so we're just going to carry on over the next, I mean, who knows how long this takes. It might be 10 years, might be 20 years for hyper-Bitcoinization that people will use these stable coins or other means things like stable sats and so on and synthetic crypto dollars let's say to help transition over into a bitcoin economy so i guess is that the kind of the overall summary is that how you're seeing it or how would you sum it up yeah definitely i mean you know one level back i think not even to the stable coin level but just dollars and bitcoin i think are, are going to play you know the future of the dollar is really on whether or not we can service our debt or not and the way that we do that is by you know sort of I- ideally targeting bitcoin as sort of this uh you know inflation metric you know sort of replace cpi with bitcoin and you know using the inelasticity of of bitcoin as a commodity to be able to blow out the dollar while still having, you know, some unit that you have on your books, you print tons and tons of dollars, but you hold a lot of Bitcoin, which I think is what a lot of these big banks will do when BN when BNY Mellon comes out with a stable coin or or maybe that is what Circle with USDC is, or when Bank of America, JP Morgan, you know, they release the, you know, these coins. They're they're going to be a big part in servicing the debt of the dollar and and in getting onboarding users to help you know deal with the inflationary effects of 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 monetary inflation, so that that's already absolutely happening. And then you actually look at the the you know well how will that actually work? And I think the biggest way that it will work will be exchanges and banks that offer Bitcoin you know, purchasing custodial services and dollar services, you know, issuing large amounts of stable coins and using those stable coins to service Bitcoin users. Um, so they'll be able to hold Bitcoin on the books, buy Bitcoin with stable coins. Um, and we'll see it, I think, very much so naturally sort of evolve. I think we'll see, you know, the majority of exchanges and, you know, banks, uh, you know, heavily dealing with dollars and heavily dealing with Bitcoin. So, yeah, I'm less worried about the capture, more interested in how the economics of the dollar play out and how quickly they they move to printing and move away from this higher rate, rising rates environment. Um, and I think the way that they do that, yeah, is by onboarding tons of users, printing a bunch of stable coins and having these private banks buy up all of these T-bills um, from the Fed. That's really I honestly don't really see any other way out for the dollar. Um, they're not going to peg it back to gold. I don't think the petro uh, dollar monopoly uh, is is politically popular anymore. We can't just willy nilly be uh, you know invading people. There's at least you know public concern against that. So I really see it as you know stablecoins being the tool that helps preserve the dollar um, by buying up T bills and getting more dollar users. Um, so that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, playing out. And I think ultimately it will be incredibly good for Bitcoin and less good for the dollar uh, as it goes on. That that will definitely um, trend that way. But for now, I think it's in the dollar's best interest uh, to create as many dollar derivatives as possible and try to get as many dollar derivative users as possible. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 like an expansion of the euro dollar system. It's the crypto euro dollar. I, I think that's that's the system that they, in their interests, would probably prefer. Right, despite the AML KYC sanctions and all that, they would still probably prefer that. Um, so 
Let's see where it all shakes out. Uh, let's chat a little bit about the print edition of the Bitcoin magazine. So tell us a little bit about um, what you guys are doing there. And yeah, just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, totally, man. I've, I've been uh, full-time with Bitcoin Magazine now for uh, just over a year. I've been writing for them before that and in the Bitcoin space for years before that. But um, yeah, it's been amazing to work on this print product. It's super fun. It's uh, We're definitely a you know, freedom technology. Uh, you know, We're looking at Bitcoin-adjacent stories. We have tons. You know, The online um, is, is a, has a legendary contributor network, yourself included. A lot of amazing folks dropping tons of amazing stuff on there. You know, we have 300 plus contributors. And then so the print product is really a uh, almost like a quarterly uh, like coffee. T- it's a pretty thick mag with tons of writers um, from all across the board, different view, you know, viewpoints. I think at this point, one of our main missions is just sort of understanding that what it means to be a Bitcoiner uh, has changed radically and it will continue to change radically. Uh, and if we really, you know, are doing our jobs as a Bitcoin, you know, sort of freedom of speech platform, we need to be showcasing all of that. So we always do a theme, cover, cover story. Uh, so the last one was the broke issue. We had SBF on the cover, all kind of dolled up as a as a, a Bahamas pig uh, <laughs> with a fake Forbes cover, which was which was a lot of fun. But yeah, it's a it's a great team. Um, Germano, Mike Germano is our publisher. Uh, the great Pete Rizzo is our editor in chief, uh, and then it's me and Peter Chihuahua, the, the the two editors in the print product. Uh, Joe Rogers is our GM, super savage. And then uh, AB, uh, Annabelle is our designer, and she's absolutely incredible, does amazing work. Yeah, it's super fun. It's uh, it's an absolute pleasure to work on it. Um, I get to read all my favorite writers uh, a couple months before everybody else, and uh, um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an absolute honor. And uh, yeah, I hope, I hope we're doing the... Uh, we're doing the Bitcoin community, you know, shooting them as well as they've treated us. Um, so, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's at Barnes & Noble. You can find it online at store.bitcoinmagazine.com. Uh, yeah, we released one a quarter. So uh, got a really a really nice fresh one coming up that I'm working on right now. Got a, got a great cover. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be very heavy. It's going to be great. Fantastic. Well, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for. So, uh, Mark, where can people find you online? Yeah, totally. Uh, obviously, all my writing is at uh, BitcoinMagazine.com. Uh, I got a book coming out uh, in a few months called The Bitcoin Dollar. talks about a lot of the stuff we talked about today. Uh, you'll be able to find that at Bitcoin Magazine as well. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Mark Goodwin. And there's an underscore between the W and the I-N. Uh, yeah. And then uh, find me at uh, the BTC Mag is the print magazine uh, Twitter handle. So uh, yeah, come follow, come read. Come say, come say hi, submit a submission. Obviously, Stefan, you got to write for us. <laughs> yeah. uh, you do amazing work on the .com, so uh, we'd love to have you in the print. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me. An absolute pleasure. Again, uh, I love your podcast. I think it does great job at doing culture, macro, and you know, you really get into the weeds technologically, which is really nice. So uh, yeah, uh, absolute honor to be here, man. Thanks so much. Fantastic. Thank you, Mark. Show notes are available at stefanlevera.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.